Please turn with me in your Bibles. The passage is not printed for you, but it's from Galatians chapter 2. We are finishing this morning our series. For some of you, that will sound strange because you'll think, well, I've only heard one or two of these. So, believe it or not, we did a series of six sermons on disciplines of grace. And really what, I was, what I'm trying to accomplish in this series is to tease out the difference between I'm a Christian, I do nothing to grow, or I'm a Christian and I'm the one who completely makes all of my growth happen. What we've been saying is it's grace that grows you. But our job is to sort of throw ourselves into the path of grace. I've used a train illustration in the past. I mean, it's like the old, the old movies, the silent movies, where the person's tied on the track and the train's just going to run over them. Only in this case, it didn't work because you actually want that to happen, but it's kind of painful. So that was the point. Uh, and, and we see that through these means of grace. And there are things we can actually do to move closer to God. So what we talked about, the first one was preaching the gospel to ourselves. That really, your daily discipline ought to be, it would be wonderful if we would go every day to Christ and remind ourselves through Scripture and through prayer and through other means that, that we are children of the living God. That we are adopted. That there's nothing that you can do to separate yourself. That there's nothing you've done to earn it. That God loves you. Secondly, we talked about Scripture intake. Thirdly, we talked about prayer. Last week, I talked about solitude with the idea being you know, solitude is sort of that space you're creating to allow these other disciplines to happen. Right? They're all building on themselves. And then this week, we're looking at community. And I'll just draw your attention to um, the quote on the front of the worship guide from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. That was last week. You, we need to learn to have solitude and to be able to be alone. And then he goes on, let him who is not in community... Beware of being alone. And so the goal is to see a tandem between time alone with the Father and time in community to really build each other up. So this morning we're looking at community. And we're going to do that at a, from a passage. I'm going to bounce out of a passage of Galatians 2. But to remind you, this is a topical sermon. Very rare here at Grace. I think it's my first series where I've done topical, a topical sermon. Normally we work through like 1 Corinthians last year. In the fall, we'll go through the life of David from 1 Samuel. So right now we're on this, uh, in this topical area, and the passage we'll, we'll look at is in Galatians 2. And the reason I've chosen this is Galatians is a letter that Paul is writing to a group who were close to forgetting the most important thing, justification by faith. And he uses an illustration of Peter, the apostle, coming in in Antioch at a different time, he uses this as an illustration in the letter of Galatians, where Peter himself fell to a trap of forgetting the gospel, and it affected his community. So, that's how we're looking at it. Uh, again, Galatians 2, verses 11 and following. Paul says, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, 
How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning as a community who believes your gospel and longs to grow closer to one another. But so often, Father, we follow the passions of our hearts, the fears inside, and we end up forming groups to make us feel better about ourselves. And my prayer is this morning, your gospel will show us, your scripture, your Holy Spirit will show us what it would look like to have a gospel community. In your name we pray. Amen. Everybody in this room should have seen the movie Breakfast Club. Okay, not if you're like under 15. Breakfast Club, 1985, uh, John Huston. Is that right? John, who, yeah, John, right? John Hughes, my bad. Uh, it's a movie. Of, so his son, he's the writer, director, producer. His son, I guess, told him, because he served in detention, at school, that they called that detention the breakfast club. It was before school. So he had the idea of the movie, of making this uh, movie about a group of teenagers, which came to be known as the Brat Pack. Uh, they came together to f- play these characters who were all very different, but they had to serve detention on a Saturday. Like an entire Saturday was given up for detention. And so they come to the high school area, the room, the principal sets them up, and he says, you're going to write a thousand-word essay to write down, who do you think you are? And then he leaves. He checked down on them periodically. But for the rest of the movie, this motley crew of different people are getting to know each other and going through stories of their life and realizing they have more in common than they realize. Pretty soon they start talking about how maybe their parents have hurt them and different things. And by the end of the movie, like all of them, very, very different people, jocks and the brainiac and the outcast and Judd Nelson with the long coat and the long hair, uh, it's a great movie. Um, they, they, I don't remember what he would, what, what group would he have been in? I can't use the names of groups anymore because they change about every three years, you know. They all come together into like a band of community. So you know that on Monday morning there's going to be that moment of, we spent Saturday together. I think Molly Ringwald and Judd Nelson even went on a date. But, uh, they, they, but now it's, it's Monday and are we going to get along and how are we going to treat each other? Okay. The church is a community, not the breakfast club, but we're all very, very different. At least we should be, right? And where we're, if, we're, if we're trying to form our community with people just like us, I think we're missing the gospel, right? And let me say it another way. If we're forming a community with people that the world thinks looks like us, then we're missing the gospel. But when we recognize that our chief identification marker is our union to Christ, right, our our brokenness, our acceptance, our adoption, that's going to radically shift the people we want to spend time with. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is how the gospel will change and compel you into a different type of community. Okay? That's my hope. And it's a discipline. Why is it a discipline? And I'll build on this as we go, because our natural tendencies will be to form groups and move into groups that are comfortable to our flesh. Whereas the gospel will compel us into situations that are very uncomfortable at times. So that's what we're going to look at um, this morning. 
the first thing I want to talk about is kind of why, you know, we're talking about the gospel compels us to community. Why community? Like, why is that a thing? Why do human beings naturally want to move into areas of community? And I think it's obvious that we do, right? I mean, we want, I mean, look at social media. We're constantly clamoring. There's nothing wrong. Last week I wondered, did I bash social media too much? If you were here last week and you wondered if I did, I think there's a lot of good in, in, in uh, social media. But we clamor for media, community. We want people to know us and to be known. And that really does come from the fact that we're made in the image of God, right? In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image, the Trinity. The Trinity existed from all time and space. It never did exist. And it's this perfect community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are both one and distinct. So when God says, let us make man in our image, he made us as image bearers, people who want to have community. But in order for that community to work, our distinctions have to be allowed. They have to be different. We're different, right? And you see that in the Trinity when the fall happens. When the fall happens, um, we see in, in Philippians that God is going to rescue his people. But there's only one member of the Trinity qualified to become a man. The Holy Spirit couldn't have become a man. God the Father couldn't. So Jesus, who is the man who could become a human and, and be made in the image of, or made um, without sin, was the only one that could fulfill the redemption of God. And so we see that in, in Philippians 2. Though he was God, Jesus, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but being made in the form of a man, he came to earth to rescue his people. Paraphrase. Are we willing to act in our community like that? Are we willing to exist in our community in the ways that we're designed? Or, as I think the world is doing often, are we finding ourselves not wanting to be our unique God-made selves and we're wanting to be like everybody else? We gravitate toward imitation rather than being the way God made us, where the gospel would project us into community. So, the, pre the premise this morning is the gospel will equip you to go into community and be the way you were meant to be. Okay? How? How does the gospel do that? And we come to this passage. Um, this passage is so fascinating to me because Peter, well, Peter's just amazing, right? Peter is the, if you read through the gospels, he's the spokesperson for the apostles. He's always the one speaking out first, right? Peter gets in the boat. Jesus Put me in the boat. I want to, or get me into the water. Get me out of the boat. I want to imitate what you're doing. And, and Jesus bids Peter to come. I've preached on John 13. I can't tell you how many times, even for the charge I gave. But that's a, a picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But who do we see? Peter. Peter's like, no. You're not going to wash my feet. Oh, you're going to wash my feet? Then wash my whole body. Peter's constantly the one you see. And even... Um, when the church is set up, the keys of the church are handed to Peter. When Peter comes to town, right, when he comes to Antioch, it's like the CEO is visiting, in a way. I mean, he's the guy. But he shows up, and Paul um, welcomes him, but Peter makes a major mistake. What does Peter do wrong? Peter forgets the gospel yet again. If you, uh, What's going on in Galatia, and it's very complicated maybe, is that the Christians that are there that were not Jews 
are beginning to think that to grow in their holiness, they need to begin to do things that the Jewish culture would do. And when Peter shows up, he's free. Right? Peter's on this tour around Asia Minor, checking out these churches. His church is Jerusalem, and he's living like a Gentile, Paul tells us. Right? He's coming in, he's not obeying any of the Jewish laws. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But for Peter, it's completely okay. This is like not sin. Does that, for him, it's freedom. Remember in Acts when he was told to eat the unclean animals? And, you know, Jesus says, take up and eat. He felt like that was sinning, but it wasn't. Because it was freedom. And so the gospel has come and freed Peter to be the person he's supposed to be. And he comes into Antioch and he's living out of that freedom until the Jewish party shows up. Right? Until that group shows up who reminds him of who he once was. And then he pulls back. And when he does that, whether he realizes it or not, he's communicating to the Gentiles, everything I said about the beauty of the gospel has a limit. I mean, it's true unless these folks show up. And then he began to just eat with the Jews, communicating a hierarchy in the gospel. Okay, do we, do we do that in our culture? Do we do that? I think we do. I, I think we come together on, on Sunday morning so well, and everybody's, we don't have seats for the rich. We've, got, we've really done a good job. Like, we don't have name tags like James warns us of. We really do come in and shake hands and embrace each other. But the Christian church, not grace, just grace, I'm talking to the Christian church across the board, really does go out and, and segregate in so many ways based on socioeconomic lines and lines of comfort, right? And just we, we want to go build friendships where we feel comfortable. But I would argue that what Paul is teaching in this passage is if the gospel is at work in your life, that will not be what you do, okay? And so the discipline I'm hoping to impress this morning is the discipline of applying the gospel to how we form community, Okay, so think for example, how many of you've heard of psychologists who say things like, um, you know, she married her dad. Have you, you know, you've heard things like that. What does that mean? She married her dad. It means a person is growing up in this social setting of their family, and certain habits and proclivities and, all, and comforts have been formed. And when she or he or they went out into the world, the person that made the most sense. They don't realize it, but really resembles the dad because that's who they felt comfortable with. Does that make sense? And so that's not all bad unless the dad's really bad and she married an abusive husband. But there's a tendency for us to move toward comfort. And that is actually good. I'm encouraging that this morning. I really am. You think I'm going to say, don't do that. Stop. Just go after weird people. No. Rather, what I'm saying is, when the gospel takes hold of your life, when you, hopefully, like Peter, see that Jesus loves you, not because of some rules you're keeping, but because of an adoption that has happened in real time, in real space, changing who you are, your eyes are open. You're going to become a different person. And you're going to get bored with certain relationships. Right? You're going to, you, you're going to get bored with some of the old types of relationships you used to be in. And you're going to actually gravitate toward people who are like-minded in the gospel. But what's going to be surprising is you're going to look around and the world's going to go, you are all very different. Like, you don't have any of the same similarities from the world standard. 
And you're going to look and go, wait, we share Christ. It won't even dawn on you that you're that different. And that's, that's what I believe the gospel compels us to do. I, and I don't know, this is, I thought of this illustration. I'm always doubting my illustrations that I make up. You are one of the greatest model airplane builders in Stillwater. There's two of you, and you're two of the best. And you love to hang out. It's your best friend. Okay. You hang out, and all you do is talk model airplanes. And then you become ill, and you go to the hospital, and you're like in intensive care, and you get to know this other friend, and both of you have the same illness, and you talk about it, and you both are healed. Okay, three years later, I walk up to you and go, hey, are you hanging out with that model airplane guy? You're going to say, well, sort of. He keeps wanting to make model airplanes and talk about model airplanes, but I want to talk to him about my illness that was healed, and he won't even listen. So yeah, we hang out a little bit, but I'm spending time with those people who all had that illness, and they came through it, and we have a get-together once a month. Does that make sense? Like, the bigger the rescue, the bigger the thing, the more that's who I want to be with. And so when we come to church, we really believe that we are a community of broken people like the Breakfast Club. We are just as messed up as those students in that movie are depicted, but far more. And yet Christ has healed us, and, for, and, and what we do is we want to hang out with Christians until the cool kids show up. My brother once told me we were playing, he was on a soccer team, and he wasn't one of the popular ones, and he wasn't one of the great ones. This is back when he was a kid. I'll never forget after practice, he said, yeah, it really was frustrating. I was hanging out with, um, well, I won't say his name because it's in Edmond, and maybe some people know this person. Great guy. I'm sure he's amazing. Um, but he was cool, but no one was around, so we were hanging out. And he was my friend, and then two of the other guys showed up, and boom, he's gone. And I was back to being not the great player anymore, and put in my place. Are we doing that? Are we doing that as a community? Are we acting like we're all best friends here? You know, and then we go back to society, go back to our daily lives, and it's sort of like, I kind of know that person. I kind of spend time with them. That's the question that we're looking at. And I'm hoping you'll begin to see that we need to enact disciplines to project us to not do that. And that's the, the last thing I really want to spend some time on, is how do we get to a place where we aren't doing that? So here's what we've looked at. The Trinity is why we are needing community. The Gospel is how, okay, specifically because we've been rescued, we've been saved, we've been given a new identity. But now what do you do? Right? What do you do? I want to go back to Peter and, and, and Paul for a moment. Um, Christ was who defined both of them. right? And so the first question I want to ask you when you think about your community and your relationships, are you able to be like Paul in this story? Paul does something in this story that's really astounding. Paul approaches Peter to his face. Again, I said it earlier. Peter is like the boss, right? Paul comes along, he was murdering Christians, then he disappears for 14 years, then he shows up to some, as he says earlier in Galatians, men that seem to be important, you know, including Peter, and now he's out planting churches like wildfire, and Peter's on a tour to see him, and when he enters town, there just has to be a sense from the world's perspective that that's the guy. And yet Paul goes up to Peter and says to him, looks him in the eye, and says, you are not acting in line with the gospel. 
Are you willing to talk to people that way? Are, do you have a community where you are so in love with the realities of, of the gospel that that defines you in such a way that you would lovingly look into the eyes of a brother or sister and confront them? That's the question. Do you look at them and say, how is it with your soul? How, how is your marriage? How is that habit we talked about? How are you doing? Paul does that. Okay? Are you able to do that? But then there's Peter. What I, what I love about the Bible is it seems to be that when Peter gets it right, you don't hear anything. Right? We saw that again in John when, when Jesus goes to Peter in John 13 to wash his feet. First thing Peter does, it says, are you gonna, he questions Jesus. Are you going to wash my feet? Typically not a good idea. I mean, he's already disrobed and put his, he's going to wash your feet, Peter. But Peter asks. Then Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Then he says, okay, wash my whole body. Like, let's make this a huge production. And what does Jesus say to that? If, I wash, if, if you need me to wash you, or you've already, he says, if you've already taken a bath, I will not need to wash you. I just need to wash your feet. So you know what Peter does after those three things? You know, my te- this is the teacher in me. He zips it. He zips his lips. He doesn't say anything. And Jesus comes close and washes his feet. And for Peter, that had to be a hugely both humiliating thing, but eye-opening experience. And here, we don't hear Peter's response. All we know is that Paul went up to Peter and confronted him. And Peter must have received that confrontation. So the first thing I asked was this. How do we apply this? Are you able to look in others' eyes because of what Christ has done for you and meet their needs? But secondly, and I think the harder thing, are you able to be the recipient of confrontation? How do you do when someone looks you in the eyes and says, I'm really concerned? For Peter, he believed the gospel so much that the moment he realized what his behaviors were indicating to the Gentiles, to the Jews, to Paul, most importantly to his Savior, was that he was not believing the gospel. He listened to the correction of Paul. And I want to ask, is the gospel compelling us in this environment to do that? Are we in each other's lives in that way? And if not here at Grace, that's okay. Do you have other Christians' lives that you're involved in where you can confront them? in a healthy way, in a loving way. There's a church planter, uh, he's a pastor, Doug Servant in, in Oklahoma City. Before he planted City Prez, he was a OURUF campus minister. And I was at Colorado State in Fort Collins. And we would email. He was really good about checking on me, and, and, and we would email back and forth. And I shared something from my environment up there that was troubling me, and he wanted to confront me by email. And um, the way he prefaced the email, the way he starts the email off is something like this. I wish I still had it. He said, Ryan, I'm very, very scared to enter into your angry heart. But I have a concern. And then he tells me his concern. And it melted me. He was so nervous and, and careful. I see, I'm about to confront you. I'm very nervous. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, maybe shame, but I, was, I realized, do I give off that vibe? Do you? Are we people that you can't approach? Are we people that the second we're approached, we're just bristling and you're cut out of our lives? 
Or are we people that can be approached? Because what Peter is showing in this passage is the ability to be confronted with the gospel, with his own mistakes, because of what Christ has done. How can this all happen? When you don't have Jesus or you're living apart from Jesus, people are used by you so you'll feel good. People become your tool to feel good about yourself. When Jesus becomes your justification, you don't need people to feel good. You've got Jesus. Now you can actually be who you're meant to be with people and care for them. Does that make sense? That's what the gospel does. And that's what the discipline of community would compel us to do, is to really live and breathe that gospel in such a way that we're seeing it played out in relationships. So I'm going to get really practical, give you just three practical ways uh, everyone's looking at me like, whoa, what have I gotten into? Okay, three practical applications of this. One, I like to give you like really specific homework. That way if you're kind of uncomfortable, you can write things down and feel like you're, you know. Make a list of your absolute closest friends, brothers or sisters in Christ, right? You may have zero. If you do, the, the homework is find one, right? If you have one or more, two or three, the homework is ask yourself, how am I, how am I applying the gospel to the, these relationships? Am I asking about life? Am I sharing my problems? If we're talking and they make a bid, do I blow right by it? They say something like, you know, this has been hard lately, and I just go, yeah, me too, and we move on. Or are we actually stopping and going, tell me more? I want to hear what's going on in your life. I want to know more. I want to look you in the eyes and care for you. That's, that's a big, big project. But if the gospel is at work in your heart, that is essential. You will be doing that with people. And then you'll, you'll be both sending and receiving that relationship. Okay? Number two, this is a big one. Are you having different people different than you, different looking and acting and all that behavior or whatever, into your home? Like, are you even attempting to get to know people that are not like you? I had a professor in seminary, Jerem Bars. I've said this before, WWJD, what would Jerem do? Everyone would say, because he was so godly. Uh, at least that was our impression. I think it still is. Just an amazing man. He worked with Edith Schaefer. Um, yeah, I know Abby Seaman knows him well. Her father co-wrote a book with Jerem. You can ask for, he's awesome, isn't he? He made this statement in a class. His best teaching, by the way, was not when he was on topic. Like the, the on topic stuff was kind of boring. But then you would ask a question and he would just go off in this amazing answers. So someday if you want to know more about Jerem, let me know. I can put you onto his recordings. But he said, when I, when I first became a Christian, like the gospel impacted me. So He was an atheist before. He said, it, one of the things I remember him saying it changed was he would enter a room of people and look for the one that was the most uncomfortable to be there. And that's who he would go toward. That's who he would go. And if you know him, he is just so, it would work. For me, that would probably overwhelm that person. Bless their heart. They'd be like, oh my gosh. Ryan, chill. For, the, for Jerem to come to you, it would be like, Weeping and yes, but do you look for people different from you? That's the second assignment. Are you trying to have share life with people actively, getting them into your world? You're getting into their world, okay? 
Does that make sense? We got that? Everyone writing these down? Lastly, how are you doing with broken relationships? It, it is not okay to have a broken relationship. If the gospel is at work in your life, you cannot say, I just don't talk to that person anymore. I've cut them out. Whether you've done it actively or just passively, and they don't even know it, we must pursue the broken relationships. We've got to go to those people. Now, how would you do that? Well, let's say you wrote a name down. You're struggling with a person, your buddy Steve. There's no Steves in here, so I can always guess. On a Is there any Steve? We're good. And I don't know what happened, and I don't even know if Steve knows, but you're mad about it. And you haven't talked to him in 15 years or five months. It doesn't matter. Don't just go to him. Pray. Lord, I'm, I'm mad at Steve. I'm, I'm hurt by what this person did to me. Begin to repent. Ask the Lord to show you your sins. Lord, show me where I've harmed him or her. Help me see where I'm the one who's at fault. Lord, will you open my eyes and my heart to want to move toward them? And it may take a period of time. That's okay. This is beautiful. You're repenting. You're praying. You're seeking restoration. And you're moving toward the people that maybe there have been difficulties with. And again, that person may not receive you. That's okay. But you're doing your part because you're doing it in Christ. All right. I don't know. I just finished a series on um, discipline and... I feel like I needed more. What do we need more of to make everyone happy right now? Cheer up. You're worse than you think. And that's what this feels like. But Jesus loves you. Not because you're good at relationships or bad, but because he has known you from the beginning of time, you are his. If you will just receive that news, I promise you, it'll begin to move you into relationship. And conversely, where you're struggling in community and fellowship and relationship, you're not believing what I just said. Pray that. Seek him out. Ask, ask the Lord to show you where you're building walls, where you're putting up masks, where you're using people for your own identity. And he will answer those prayers. Let's pray together. Father, you want us to dwell together in unity, but yet you know it's impossible. And so you've sent your Son. And Jesus, you are calling together not just a bunch of individuals to be your church, but you are calling a group, a bride, a church universal. Lord, we know that Grace is just one of the local churches. We have so many here in Stillwater. And we know that, Lord, the church universal is, it spans time and space, but yet it's filled with sinners who are saved by grace. I pray this morning your spirit would move us even to have one solid relationship improved. Even one for your glory. Amen.